This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. I would like to welcome a special guest today. Jennifer Kiesmat is in the house. She is, of course, running to become Toronto's mayor, and she's considered the only serious challenger to John Tory. You'll remember that she was Toronto's chief planner under both Rob Ford and John Tory. She is a progressive or left-wing candidate. She's a proponent of bike lanes, transit, and affordable housing. Jennifer jumped into the race minutes before the deadline for registering. And she's here to take your calls and your questions. Let me give you the numbers. Again, 416-360-0740. Toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Jennifer Keys, Matt, welcome and thanks for being here. It's great to be here, Libby. Okay, so why did you jump into the race? Well, I think like many other Torontonians, um, my concern has been growing about the city, concern that's been growing around transit, around housing affordability, concern around public safety. But when I saw, like many others did, this arbitrary change to our election in the middle of an election by Doug Ford, and then really the weak-kneed response of John Tory, it became clear that Toronto needs strong leadership. Toronto needs someone who will stand up for this city. And it was really in that moment, uh, following many conversations with many people over the course of many months, that I realized this is this is the time when Toronto needs a leader who will stand up for the city. What issue do you have with his response? He immediately said he disagreed with it, with the way it was done, and he voted to mount a legal challenge. What would you have done differently? His immediate response was to suggest we needed a referendum and a quick phone to the phone call to the city clerk's department would have determined that that wasn't something that was viable. Uh, instead, there was a whole kind of process at city council about whether or not we could or we couldn't have a referendum and the clerk made it clear that we cannot. A quick phone call would have made it clear that that wasn't a good response and wasn't the right response. It took a week for him to write a letter. It took another month to launch the legal challenge. Uh, that's too little too late. Uh, There are moments when we need to stand up decisively, strongly, clearly for our city and for our democracy. And altering our democracy... That's a big deal. That's a big deal in, it's one of the reasons we've seen mayors across Canada speaking out against what they're seeing here in Ontario, altering a democracy in the middle of the political process when people have resigned their jobs, printed materials, put their name in the ring, then changing the rules of the game. Un- Precedented, and that needs a strong response, not kind of a, a tepid, well, maybe we should do something, let me wait and see whether people are upset about this or not. A leader says, hold on a minute, this isn't right, we need to act, we need to stand up for the interests of this city, and says that right away. Doesn't wait a week, doesn't wait a month. Uh, the city is a creature of the province. 
Every legal opinion we've seen, including the city solicitor, says basically they have the right to do this, that there isn't a clear path to victory. Well, there is a legal challenge that is proceeding. City Council has voted uh, to pursue a legal challenge. And this many people think it's just a Hail Mary pass. Well, and it might be. uh, But I would argue that we need to stand up for this city. We need to make it very clear that Torontonians having jurisdiction over their local democracy is something that matters. Libby, Guelph is a town of 132,000 people, 132,000 people, and it has a mayor and it has a city council and it has jurisdiction as to how Guelph is governed. This is a city of 2.8 million people. It is larger than many provinces. It is the sixth largest government in Canada. And yet what we're getting told is, uh, sorry, you don't get that kind of local representation that exists in Ottawa or Guelph or Kingston or many other places across the country. Uh, we're not going to get that in Toronto. For, for what reason? What's the rationale? What What's the logic? You've said that you don't think Doug Ford would have gone ahead with this if you were there. But it seems to me he spent time at city council. He he definitely has ideas about what works and what doesn't work in in the city. It's it's hard to see how he would have responded differently. Well, we couldn't get into the debates of uh, the merits of of kind of debating this. But at the end of the day, what we do know is that this was an attack on local democracy, specifically in Toronto, that results in less democracy. It results in a lot more bureaucracy, less elected officials, and a lot more unelected officials. Let's not fool ourselves. We saw this with the megacity. We had less elected officials and more city staff. Now, councillors need a much bigger budget to run their offices because an elected official who's connecting with the community and talking with the community. You and I were just, uh, you know, talking about uh, Witchwood. Witchwood Barnes happened because there was a local councillor connected with the community. The original proposal for that site was a bunch of townhomes. And there was a local councillor who worked with the neighbourhood, who worked with the community to put forward an amazing plan for a, a community amenity, a park, uh, affordable housing on the site, something that would connect and enhance the neighbourhood. That would not have happened if we are being governed through a press release at Queen's Park. And we need to call out the implications of what happened here and why leaders stand up and say, hold on a minute, let's talk this through, let's look at the implications of this, and let's identify why this isn't in the interest of Toronto. I would argue, yes, there's absolutely a problem at City Hall, which is what I think Premier Ford is trying to get at, but that's a problem of leadership. The problem at City Hall isn't that our democracy is broken and we need less representation The problem is that we don't have a strong leader who will stand up for the city, who will lead city council, who will work with the residents of the city, who have passion and energy and ideas to contribute in how their neighborhoods are run. Uh, That's the problem that needs to be fixed. But don't tamper with our democracy. Assuming this goes ahead and there's every indication that it will go ahead, how are you going to move forward with it? 
Well, if this does go ahead, the there's going to be an even greater need for a strong leader at City Hall who can work with communities, who can work with neighborhoods. That's what I did in my work as chief planner. I got to know kind of every nook and cranny of this city. And what I do know is that there's people across the city in every neighborhood of the city who have they have skills and passion and interests and ideas and energy to contribute to this city. And we will have to ensure that we have a mayor who is committed to working very closely with neighborhoods and the people of this city in order to ensure that we're creating a city that's wonderful for absolutely everyone. Well, I mean, one thing uh, you've got to say about John Tory is that he is everywhere all the time throughout the city. But, but speaking of working with people, and again, the city is a creature of the province, how do you propose to get along with Doug Ford? Well, look, let me say a couple of things. The first is that um, I understand the reasons why John Tory was elected mayor. It was following an incredibly chaotic period at City Hall, and Torontonians wanted things to calm down. They wanted normalcy, and we got that through John Tory. But now we're at a different moment. Now we're at a different moment in terms of our affordable housing crisis in for, in terms of spinning our wheels on transit. We have a public safety issue, which is mounting and the concern in the city is growing. And as a result, we need leadership. We don't we don't need someone but to calm, you, calm things down. You're still uh, any mayor is still always going to have to be going to the province to get help with various things. How do you propose to get along with Doug Ford? Well, the good news is I became chief planner under under Rob Ford, and uh, you in your intro you kind of positioned me as a, a left candidate, and uh, in fact I'm a big tent candidate. I can work with players from across the entire political spe- spectrum. That's what I was able to do as chief planner. I worked just as well with people on the right as I did with the left because uh, I take a very collaborative approach to my work, and that's because I have a business background. I built a national practice with my business partners, uh, now a thriving company dialogue with four offices across Canada in Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Toronto with over 600 employees. And in order to do that in my professional life, which is actually where I've spent most of my, my adult life is in the business world, I've worked with all political parties and all levels of government, which you need to do in order to get things done. And I can I can work with every political party and I can work with uh, a whole variety of different types of leaders, in part by tapping into the interests that we share. And I think what Doug Ford was getting at with this move was that something's not right at City Hall and needs to be fixed. And I agree with him on that. I'm going to give the numbers out again. I'm here with Jennifer Kiesmat. She is running for mayor of Toronto. She's considered the only serious challenger to John Tory. And she's happy to take your calls and your questions. 416-360-0740. Toll free 1-866-740-4740. I have to tell you that as we've been discussing these changes, uh, just very unscientifically judging from the calls, most people like the Reduction of council, and uh, they also don't like some of the things that you champion. Uh, the King Street Pilot Project is a pet peeve for people. Uh, also, bike lanes. Well, I'm glad you've raised that because um, 
I have a, a father-in-law who's in his late 70s who's driven an SUV in this city, a great big uh, car his entire life. And uh, he, he likes bike lanes not because he's going to use them. Uh, but when he was heading down to uh, the financial district where he works every day and the bike lane started going in, he called me up one day and he said, you know what? Now I know my daughter-in-law is going to be safe. And he cared about bike lanes because he cared about knowing that he has uh, nieces. Uh, sorry, he has he has uh, uh, grandchildren. He has uh, children who he knows are cycling around the city and he wants them to be safe. And so bike lanes are about everyone being safe in this city every there's always going to be people who will drive in the city there will always be people who will uh who will take transit there will always be people who will cycle in the city but we're going to grow we're going to grow by over a million people in this city we we do not have room for more cars i think that's something that all of us can can agree to so even those who might use driving as their first choice and i drive in this city as well but i also use all of those other choices i think what's pretty clear to us is that we need more choices in terms of how people get around in the city and the king street pilot is uh low-hanging fruit we added 35 percent more commuters during rush hour on transit i was uh, talking to one of the counselors and what he told me was that a lot of the people who have moved over to the King Street line are not new transit users but they've just moved over say from Queen Street which doesn't suggest that much of a net benefit. Well, I don't know where that data came from because I haven't actually heard that and that's a, that's a hard thing to track. But what we do know is that we've shortened the commute, that the commute times have gone down and we've significantly increased the number of commuters. Let's go back for a minute to what the objective was here because we know that the vast majority of people working in the core of the city are coming into the city on transit. One of the things we've heard loud and clear from the Board of Trade is that a big constraint to economic development and economic growth in this city is the long commute, it's traffic congestion. Now we know we can't, the Gardner Expressway was at capacity 10 years after it was built. So we haven't been adding more cars for almost 30 years on the Gardner Expressway. But the reason our downtown is thriving is because we have been adding more commuters on transit. That's where we can get wins and we can get gains in this city. And it goes right back to having a thriving economy in our city. We want to reduce the, the time of the commute. We want to do it in a way that's sustainable. We want to do it in a way that is as efficient as possible. And using existing infrastructure like King Street in such a way that more people can get to their jobs on time, on transit, if they're it's a new huge riders. win. If they're new riders, well, or if they're, or if they're, or if they're people who were otherwise using Uber and now they're out of a car and they're on transit, that's fabulous too. Some of those people might be cyclists who are now are now getting on the King car and they're they're getting off their bike for a variety of reasons. There's a whole mix. Part of this is really about increasing choices in the city. It's about people having more choices about how they can get around in the city. I don't think there's anyone in this city who believes that we can keep growing and keep adding cars. In fact, that's kind of what we've been doing. And it doesn't work. It just leads to gridlock. We know we need 
better transit. We need more choices uh, in terms of the layers of ways that people can get and move around. And cycling is a part of that. Every time we build a cycling cycling lane, the, the, the usage goes up by 200, 300%. That's great. That's people like me saying, you know what? I'm going to leave my car home today and I'm going to bike because I can get there safely on my bike. And by the way, it's enjoyable. But a lot of people like me as well, you know, I'm sort of not in the radical category of people who will bike no matter what. I need to know that I can get from point A to point B safely. And so every time we can move someone out of their car and onto transit or in their bike, we free up the road space for things like moving goods, moving goods and services, which might not be able to be moved on transit or, or on a, on a bike. So there's, there's room here to do this in a different way. The city isn't going to be the same in the future as it was in the past. It can't be if we are adding significant number of new people into the city. Okay, uh, I want to get to the phones. I do want to ask one more question before we get to the phones, and that is taxes. Uh, You've said before, gee, New York has 18 taxes. We only have three. Do we need more taxes? Would you hold the line on property taxes uh, the way they are now to the rate of inflation or the things you propose need money? So a few things. One is that um, the tax, taxes have been below the rate of inflation. They haven't been at the rate of inflation. So there's been a net, a net, a net decrease, and that's an important, important point of, of clarification. But there are uh, tools that we have that we can use um, in order to ensure that we can build out the infrastructure and to build out the amenities like transit that we need in this city. There's a whole variety of innovative things that we can do which are within our purview as per the City of Toronto Act. There's all kinds of stuff that we can do. And remember, we're the we're, revenue tools. We're bigger yeah. than we're bigger than many many provinces. Well, not just what's kind of you know when we talk about revenue tools, people sort of see that as code for taxes, but there's different ways of doing this. Growth can pay for growth in this city. That isn't happening right now. Uh, An example from when I was chief planner, we raised the planning fee on development applications. And we raised the planning fee so that we could provide more planning service. So by raising the planning fee, we could provide more planning service. It was better for neighborhoods and communities that are very involved in the planning process. It was better for developers because they were getting a better service. So that's a really clear example. Are you going to raise taxes for property owners? So I'm going to bring out a full fiscal platform that is going to be looking at a variety of ways that we can ensure that we have the resources that we need in order to continue to build a great city for everyone. Okay, uh, people are waiting patiently, so let's get to the phones. We've got Darko in Etobicoke. Hi, Darko. Darko, are you there? I'm going to give him one more shot. Darko, are you there? Okay, we will move along. We've got Siva in Toronto. Hi, Siva. Hi, Libby. I just want to say I'm glad someone else is running for mayor because I was thinking I wasn't going to vote this year, but Mr. Tory is all over the board. He's the police chief. He runs the TTC. Now he wants to have a lawsuit. Who's going to pay for that? He and the councillors or people like myself? I don't understand him. He's a nice person, but I think we need another mayor. 
Okay, so uh, I'm just uh, going to uh, repeat some of that for Jennifer. Uh, so she's saying uh, she wants to know who's going to pay for the legal challenge. She said she's very glad somebody else is running uh, for mayor, but wants to know who is going to pay for the legal challenge. Does that sum it up, Siva? Yes, ma'am. So uh, there's a whole legal department at the city that is all set up exactly for this purpose, which is to represent the interests of Toronto and does that all the time. Uh, We frequently, as a city, uh, send uh, lawyers in order to be engaged in negotiating agreements and contracts. And so this is part of running a very big government, which is what we are. And we have a legal team, a highly qualified legal team that is established to do just this. So, yes, taxpayers are paying for the legal challenges. The they, answer they should pay. The counselors and Mr. Tory should pay for this if they want to bring a lawsuit. Because every time there's some frivolous little lawsuit for everything. So that's, that's what I think. They should pay, not, not us. I know the city has lawyers, but let the counselors, if they don't want to lose their job, let them pay and fight it. Well, a big part of this is about uh, it's about political representation, and uh, the opportunity here is absolutely to ensure that we have access to local democracy in the city. And the uh, the direction of city council is to ensure that 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 local representation is maintained moving forward, and that can happen in a variety of different ways. But that's the direction that council has put forward. Okay, Siva, thanks for that. We're going to move along to Reggie in Toronto. Hi, Reggie. Hi, Libby. You're on the air. Go ahead. Well, uh, again, I I talked to you before and asked you, told you about the the people that in City Hall have not given me an appointment and things like that. And uh, Mayor Ford, I I, I mean, uh, Doug Ford, he, he was a counselor at one time. I went to him and his brother, uh, Rob Ford, and uh, also the mayor, uh, the new mayor. Uh, uh, What's your question, sorry. Reggie? You want to know about affordable housing? Yes, and and uh, and, and uh, um, Christian Wontang is, is another one that uh, is, is uh, uh, holding me back and not doing nothing for me for appointments and things like that. Okay, we're going to ask Jennifer about her plans for affordable housing. So we have an opportunity in this city to use the lands that we own as a city and partner with industry partners in order to deliver a significant amount of affordable rental housing, housing that families can afford in the city. We face a risk right now. There's newcomers coming to the city. There's many young people in this city who do not necessarily uh, see a future for themselves in the city because of housing. And a generation ago, Toronto used to be known as being a really affordable housing. That was sort of our secret sauce. We were a big city where you could come and you could afford to raise your family. That's something that is starting to fade away. There's a whole generation right now that is looking at their future in this city and incredibly concerned that they're not sure how they're going to do it. And we have an opportunity and I have uh, promised to build 100,000 units of affordable rental housing that families can afford. How are you going to finance that? 
it's an, an arrangement that will work quite well uh, in a partnership with the private sector. So working collaboratively with industry partners, the contribution that we will make as a municipality, which is the best contribution for us to be making, is through land because we have land and our land contribution. We have lots of areas of the city where we have a one story subway or a uh, one story subway station or we have uh, kiss and rides or we have a one story library not everywhere, but in some places in the city, these are wonderful sites where we can be building out affordable housing. We can also integrate affordable daycare in such a way that we can be providing for the housing needs of Torontonians in the city of Toronto. And that's a really great contribution for the municipality to be making And leadership is required to get it done. We can lead. We can use those lands. We can use those assets that we have today to ensure that everyone has access to housing in this city. There's no reason not to do it. And there's every reason to do it. It's about ensuring we're building for a next generation. And it's about ensuring that this city uh, doesn't continue to spiral out of control on the affordability front. Uh You ran into a bit of controversy lately. You left a job with Creative Housing. They were not happy that you didn't give them too much notice and they called you an opportunist. How do you respond to that? They also said you took their ideas for affordable housing. Well, I think one of the things that, uh, that's that been affirmed is that this is an entirely viable prospect, and I played a key role in developing it. It was absolutely led by Ian Gillespie of, of West Bank, uh, and I've played a key role over the course of the past six months in driving it forward. The comments that were made were not actually uh, made by anyone who was uh, in the a leadership role at Creative Housing, so that needs to be taken with a real grain of salt. I saw him quoted, Gillespie. No, he was not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you might want to take a look at it again because he was not. (laughs) And uh, so that's just uh, people carping because you're running? I think so. You're going to get that. That's yeah. part of the terrain of running in politics. Isn't uh, I think what it establishes is the credibility of the proposal that I brought forward, and it demonstrates that there's this opportunity waiting to happen. There's this opportunity to build a significant amount of housing, and why hasn't it happened? It's entirely viable. The model exists. The industry players are ready. The industry players are ready to come to the table and to build out significantly more affordable rental housing that families can afford in this city. The industry is ready to do it. All that's needed is the leadership on the part of the city to get the ball rolling, to get everything moving, to seize the opportunity. So uh, there is a very big opportunity here and we're missing it. Uh, The mayor is dithering, he's twiddling his thumbs, saying there's nothing I can do. And what I'm saying, and what I think you heard is loud and clear, is that the industry partners are saying, yeah, this is actually a really good model. This model works. This is something we can do in this city, and we can address affordability in this city. We just need to get going and do it. Okay, let's take a call from Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. Hi. My concerns are with the bike lanes, and it sounds like you're going to be uh, as pro on bike lanes as possible. They put the bike lanes in along Woodbine here, and it's totally destroyed the neighborhood. To a neighbor, every person I talk to is against them. There's congestion. You know, sometimes it goes on for like two miles to get to the O'Connor Bridge. In, in the middle of winter, 
Then they put speed bumps on every side road. So now you've got aggressive drivers. They get pissed off. They're taken off on side roads. They're driving. It just created a disaster. And in the middle of winter, we get a snowstorm. I take my dog out at 12 o'clock at night to take him for a walk. Guess what? None of the roads are cleared, but they've got those damn bike lanes. They're plowed and cleared. And then the next day, the plow will come down my street, and it'll dump, dump like five tons of snow at the end of my driveway that I have to clear. It's a joke. It's ruined the neighborhood. Jennifer? So I'm uh, I'm I'm really sorry to hear about how frustrating that that is. It sounds incredibly frustrating, and I'm trying to as you're painting the portrait here. I'm trying to picture this snow being dumped at the bottom of your street and speed humps with people speeding up and slowing down. There's better things we can do in terms of how we operationalize change in the city. Uh, and the speed, I'm not a huge fan of speed humps, but I'm a really big fan of churn restrictions as a way of keeping local streets very, very local. There's an important question. do nothing but congest the traffic. On a Saturday afternoon, trying to go down Woodbine, it's almost impossible. I've totally changed my shopping habits because of it. I no longer shop in it locally. Unfortunately, I have a schedule that I have freedom. So I schedule myself to move when the traffic is, is, is low, and I don't shop in the neighborhood anymore. Uh, the speed bumps, it's out of control. They put a speed bump two feet in front of a stop sign. Do you really think that's a good, good, uh, effective use of money? People are going to be stopping there anyways. Why would you put a speed bump two feet in front of a stop sign? She's just said she doesn't like the speed yeah, bumps. Yeah, and well, and I also think, to your point, that's an, I, I don't think that's a good execution. There's better ways to execute change in a city, and that's a perfect example of where we need more leadership to ensure that we're executing in a change that works. I'll also add, Bill, that uh, it, the, the fact that streets are becoming more and more congested is an exactly an example of how if we think about it, we're adding more and more people into the city. We're going to keep adding more and more people into, into the city. But the roads are at capacity. That's what I hear you saying. These roads are at capacity. This isn't working. And it's precisely the reason why we need more choices for how people can get around in the city. And your point reinforces that exactly, which, where there isn't enough choice in terms of how to get around. There needs to be more choices. The good thing about bike lanes is that bike lanes, uh, when we do put them in place, we know that people do start moving out of their cars. Not everyone. This isn't going to be for everyone. But even if 3, 5, 10% of the population says, you know what, I'll leave my car at home, that actually increases capacity or reduces that congestion on the streets. So we're in a transitionary point right now as a city. But what we need is more choices and we need better choices. We need excellent transit in every corner of the city. If we keep adding people and everyone and everyone is in their car, we're going to have congestion. It is the law of physics. It's there's no other way to do it. And we have been becoming a bigger, uh, more populous, dense urban city, but we haven't been adding the transit. We've been spinning our wheels on transit. And if we spin our wheels on transit, we're just going to see more and more frustrations like the frustrations that you're expressing expressing today. And so getting out 
on the transit file and building transit so that transit is an excellent choice and is a real choice in every single corner of the city is a part of the whole package of how people move in in a city. And we're missing that piece. We're stuck on that piece. And unless we get that piece unstuck, unless we drive forward in a really significant way, change around transit and ensuring that there's lots of choice in terms of how people can move around in the city, then that congestion isn't going to magically disappear. It just isn't. It's the law of physics. Cars take up a lot of space. And if everyone is getting in the car, we're going to have a challenge. Okay. Um, We really should be taking a quick break now. Are you okay to hang on for a few more minutes here? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back with a little more with Jennifer Keysmat. So uh, hang on and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are going to get to the rest of your calls, but I know that Jennifer has to run. What would you like to leave us with? Well, Libby, thank you so much. It's fabulous to uh, hear from your listeners and to be a part of this. I'm really, really excited to be in this race because I do believe that leadership is needed in this city to address all of the kinds of concerns that we've heard about today. Housing, transit. And we didn't really talk about public safety, but public safety is enormous and is absolutely critical for us to be talking about. We're at a point in our city's history where a lackluster response, lackluster leadership, dithering leadership is not even remotely what we need. We need to be forward thinking. We need to be strategic and bold in addressing all of these challenges that we face, or we will be on the spin cycle. We'll continue to see congestion increase. We need to be thinking about the future of the city and ensuring that this is a city that is inclusive and wonderful for everyone in the city to live. Okay, Jennifer Keysmat, thanks so much, and I hope you'll come back very soon. I would love to. Thanks, Libby. Okay, uh, we are going to continue the discussion. We've got Robert in North York. Hi, Robert. Hi, I just want to point out that... Um John Tory had my vote up until this King Street fiasco. Uh, I can't believe an 11% increase in ridership on King Street is worth wiping out all the small businesses that, uh, west of um, Bay. My dad was a small business at Queen and Spadina, and I can tell you that if, if he'd done to that corner what he's done to the King Street Merchants Association, they've lost 30 to 50% of their business, um, we would have starved. So, you know, Tory was never small business. Tory worked for Rogers. I don't know what he did before that, but he's, a, he's always been with these huge conglomerates. Now he's running the biggest conglomerate of his life. And you cannot wipe out an entire street that wide, that, that kind of length, over an 11% ridership, and things, things every, everything's going to be the same. Well, the, it, the, okay. Really hurting. We need more clarity on how much the increase in ridership is. I know the businesses are really complaining. I think three have gone out of business, uh, and uh, um, three have gone out of business on King Street. So, um, yeah, and by the way, Jennifer Keysmat, who was here, she was the architect of that plan. Nice. So uh, they're, they're, they're both scrambling to take credit for that plan, and I guess some people like it, but uh, we're hearing from you. You really don't. Thanks. It's a mess. It's a real mess. Thanks for your call. 
Thank you. Okay, let's go to Marek in Toronto. Hi, Marek. Oh, yes, good day. Um, so I have a comment about the bike lanes. Um, if they should be on the side streets, not on Bloor Street. And the congestion on Lakeshore and Gardiner is incredible these days. The people just take one hour and a half to go from uh, Spadina, um, from, um, from Eglinton, Spadina to Lakeshore, one hour and a half. So this is terrible. But in, another thing is uh, with Queen, uh, King Street, I am just puzzled that they created the uh, patios on the street, removing all the parking spots for the, the delivery trucks and even for the taxi. So this is uh, the major uh, street is uh, out of just for the streetcar, so maybe it should be the subway line being built. But another thing is um, the GO train uh, should increase the frequency of going every 15 minutes and also the, my cousin pointed out that one train leaves in five minutes to four and the people are finishing job at four o'clock so it's impossible for them to catch the train so i think it should be some um, look into the scheduling of the ttc and go so the people would be able to jump on the uh, the trains are not waiting uh, half an hour. Okay, well, those are all interesting uh, and pretty detailed suggestions, Merrick. Thanks very much. Thank you, and good luck with your show. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, and before we move along to the next subject, today John Tory announced that if he's re-elected, he will match provincial funds for uh, dealing with gun violence in the city, and that's $25 million. Uh, as you heard, we didn't get to that subject with Jennifer Keysmat. She will be back, so uh, we'll have a chance to get a really good handle on exactly what she stands for. We need a little more detail on some of those ideas. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.